Well, good morning, Firewheel. Hey, it's good to be with you here this morning. Uh, for those of you I've not met, my name's Kevin Davis, and I'm one of the elders here at Firewheel. And um, we say this every Sunday, we want you to know it, you are loved. And you know what we like to do here at Firewheel is we like to have fun. And I love Sundays here at Firewheel. We're going to get ready uh, to listen to our worship band, who we love very much, and we're so blessed to have them. And we're also going to get a great message this morning from Pastor Adrian, and we're very, very excited about hearing that as well. So um, if you would, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we worship you and we praise you, Father, for you are holy. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, Lord. Father, we thank you that we have the opportunity to gather here together in person. We thank you, Father, for the cross, for the blood of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that this service today, that the music, the message, our interaction with one another would glorify you and you alone, Lord, for you are worthy. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Good morning, everyone. Everybody, please rise and join us. Praise the Lord this morning.
Now's the point in the service where we get a chance uh, to give to him who gave all. To call the ushers forward here, and I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we do worship you, Father, and we thank you, Lord. We are so grateful, Lord, for you are so good to us. Uh, we thank you for Jesus, for his broken body. We thank you for the blood shed on the cross. We thank you for eternity. 
We thank you for heaven. We thank you, Father, that there is no one who can ever separate us from your love. Father, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, and I pray that this offering now would be pleasing to you and would glorify your name, for you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Please rise again. Lord, my life is an empty cup. Here's my heart, would you fill me up? I'm face to the ground, forsaking my pride, leaving my will, my burdens behind. Oh.
Fellowship. We are all about sound Bible teaching, intentional discipleship, and loving community, even in our children's ministry. And we need your help teaching, guiding, and loving on our kids on Sunday mornings. If you want to be a part of sharing the love of Jesus with the next generation, contact Barbara at firewheelfellowship.com or talk to Cassie Glover in the children's building and they will get you plugged in. Have you been to one of our newcomers luncheons yet? If not, we would love to see you there, August 22nd, immediately following the service. Whether you've been here a week or a year, this is the perfect time to find out more about who we are at Firewheel and how to get connected. This fall, beginning September 1st, we will have our Foundations class on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. This class is an in-depth, book-by-book study of the Bible, developed to give you the tools to strengthen your own study of the scriptures and the ability to better share God's word with others. For more information on anything going on around Firewheel, go online to firewheelfellowship.com, or you can always check us out on social media. All right, well, good morning, Firewheel family. How's everybody doing out there today? Everybody good? It's good to see all of your smiling faces and those of you who are joining us online. If I've not had the pleasure to meet you yet, my name is Pastor Adrian Pino, and I get the opportunity here at Firewheel to lead the, uh, our Sunday morning gathering uh, that it takes place in the great room. Where are my great room folks at? All right, so uh, if you guys have not got plugged into one of our Bible studies in the morning, get plugged in. We'd love to see you or any one of the great classes that we have. But uh, my journey here at Firewheel began back in 2010. I was an intern here for a couple years, and actually this is my home sending church. I'm actually licensed and ordained here, and then, went, uh, and then God called us to an exodus period for seven years to go ahead and pastor in New Jersey, which we had a great time doing that. And then God called us back, my wife and I, to pursue our doctoral degrees. And so now we're back and right back at home. And so I love being here and I love this place. And so it's good to be here. Now, Pastor Chris is on a much-needed vacation, soaking up a lot of sun, and if you follow him on uh, social media, you know that he's been doing a whole lot of surfing, uh, something that I feel like I could probably never do, but good for him, and I'm happy that he's enjoying that, and so everybody needs a time away, and so I am grateful every time I get an opportunity to be here in the pulpit and recognize what a humbling responsibility it is and to be able to share God's word with you. So I'm excited about that today. So I want to go ahead and open us up with a word of prayer, and then I want to share something with you that I think is deeply kind of personal in this way, this, this passage I've been really reflecting on for about the last two months, and I hope that what I feel in my heart comes across to you today, and so we're going to ask God to help us with that. So let's pray. So Lord, we are here today. And we come with open hands. And Lord, we ask that you would meet us in this place. Meet us in our place of need, and I pray that we can drown out every distraction, that you would give us ears to hear and give us hearts to receive, that our hearts would be fertile soil for your word today, for your word does not return void. And so, Lord, I pray that you would take this humble vessel, broken vessel, and if you take but one word, Lord, and that it would go forth in power, that you may be glorified in this place. 
In Jesus' most precious and holy name we can pray. Amen. Amen. So the famous American poet, Carl Sandburg, once captured a statement that I believe really encapsulates the human experience. And he simply said this, There is an eagle in me that wants to soar, and there is a hippopotamus in me that wants to wallow in the mud. How many eagles we got out there today? Anybody feel like an eagle today? Man, no hands went up with the eagle thing. Okay, uh, we got some hippopotamuses in the house then. All right, so I, I totally get that and understand that some of you are like, I don't like this reference at all. All right, and that's okay too. So, but uh, sometimes I feel like seal, I want to fly like an eagle. And then sometimes I feel like a hippopotamus too. So, but it captures in this, the idea of the human condition. And this statement, as fun and quirky as it sounds, is an example of what we call paradox. And I want to define this word for you because it's going to encapsulate kind of the idea of today's message. A paradox is simply this. It is a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement or proposition which, when investigated, may, be, may prove to be well-founded or true. Let me say that again. A paradox is a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement or proposition which, when investigated, may prove to be well-founded or true. The Bible is full of statements like this. Now, the Bible itself is not contradictory, so let's put that disclaimer in there. But there are a lot of times when the Bible will make statements that sound on the surface that it could be that falls into this category of paradox, and it's because the limitation of our own human understanding. We're not able to fully grasp and understand things like the sovereignty of God and man's free will and how those things kind of jive together. But there's a number of different actual statements in the Bible that kind of fit this mold as well, and because of the limited scope of what our understanding we don't understand how God perfectly works out all these things. Let me give you a few examples, and then we're going to dwell on one today. Example number one, Matthew chapter 23, verses 11 and 12. You know this one. The greatest among you shall be your servants. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In a human context, that makes no sense. Usually those who are powerful rise in the ranks, and those who are not so powerful do, don't rise in the ranks. In God's upside-down kingdom, those who are willing to be humble will be exalted, and those who try to exalt themselves will be humbled. Luke 17, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life, and uh, the other gospels say, for my name's sake, will keep it. Another statement that, okay, if I lose my life, if I give away everything, if, I, if I'm open to God, that somehow I'm going to gain everything, doesn't seem to make sense on our own human understanding. But there is one statement that has literally been shaking me, and, in, and, and been, I've been thinking about it for literally the past two months since I knew that I was going to preach this message today. And the reason why I've been dwelling on it is because I think it fully encapsulates the Christian experience if we are genuinely honest. Can we be honest in the room today? Because I'm going to be very honest with you at times, all right? And I want you to be honest with yourself as we, and I'm going to be very vulnerable today with some of the things in which we are going to share. And I believe this statement encapsulates the human condition for a believer, all right? And it comes from the mouth of a father who is at the end of his proverbial rope, and he's at the end of his rope because his son is suffering because he's demon-possessed. And being demon-possessed, this demon, since he's been suffering with it from childhood, we don't know how old he was, but he had been suffering an extended amount of time, then what happened is this demon was doing physical things to him as well, causing his son to almost die and causing physical harm. And can you imagine putting yourself Put yourself in the position of this father for a moment. 
This is not a parable. This is not a fictional story used to illustrate a truth. That's what a parable is. This is a historical account about a genuine experience and story that happens. If you are his dad and you are helpless and powerless because your son is convulsing, your son's throwing himself into the fire, your son's doing all these things, wouldn't you be at your wit's end? At the end of your proverbial rope? And he makes one of the most honest statements in all of scripture. And it's found in Mark chapter 9 verse 24. And it says this, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. He's talking to Jesus, and he comes to Jesus completely broken, and he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It's both an affirmation, a statement of some level of belief, and both also at the same time, kind of a paradox, it's a statement of what I don't believe and how I'm wrestling with doubt and fear in the midst of all of it, and it comes from the lips of a father who is bringing his son to Jesus, that hoping that Jesus can do something about the situation. This tension between faith and unbelief, I believe, is this fine tension in which we find ourselves as Christians. You and I do not exhibit perfect faith. Is that an honest statement? You never will 100% exhibit perfect faith. That's okay. And here we see this side of heaven, that's the tension we live in. We will vacillate. Sometimes our faith will be really high. Sometimes we'll be in tune with God. Our faith will be really high. Seems like everything's going really good. And then all of a sudden life comes and situations and circumstances that are very severe and significant seem to knock us down and start taking the air out of our bubble. And we start deflating and we start losing some of that faith and we wrestle with this tension between faith and unbelief. I genuinely believe that at, at the same time can both exist within us the ability to believe and not fully believe at the same time. Can I say that again? I believe that within us is the ability to at the same time both believe and yet not fully believe at the same time. This tension exists when God, when we believe God, and we know intellectually we believe God, that God is our provider. You know, and we pray, and we believe that, that God is the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We can start quoting all the scripture, we believe that. But when the bills stop piling up, and there's no money in the account, and it's not black at the end of the month, it's red, then that tension, we exist within that tension, sometimes our faith is shaken. That tension exists when we believe God for physical healing, but we receive that bad report from the doctor that we weren't expecting. That tension exists when we believe God for the salvation of the family members that we have been praying for for years and years, and the friends and those that have gone before us, and yet we see according to their life, we, think we're, we begin to think and question, God, can you really save them? Will they ever really be saved? My encouragement to you is that faith is like a muscle. It's something you exercise. It's something you exercise every single day. Every single day you will wake up with the opportunity to make faith decisions, and that's why we say the Christian life is a walk in faith. You're taking steps every single day. You're walking. You're making decisions. You are doing things that will increase or decrease your faith or how you respond to circumstances and situations. You are every day making faith decisions as you walk in this thing we call the Christian life. And like a muscle, the more that our faith is strained and we come through on the other side, the more I believe that when the next circumstance hits, we'll be a little stronger that time. And then when the next circumstance hits, 
will be a little stronger that time. And guess what? You'll have opportunity after opportunity and after opportunity to be able to continue to exhibit faith. Here's my one truth statement for you today. If you walk away with one idea, here's the one I want you to walk away with, and this is brutally honest. Our faith, while being perfected, will never be perfect. Our faith, while being perfected, using that word intentionally, meaning maturing, growing. Hopefully you're growing in your faith, you're, grow you're maturing in your faith. You're in this process. This is what the Christian life is all about, is we are in process. It will never be perfect this side of heaven. But we can be walking toward being perfected, maturing, growing, exercising it so that way we grow in it every single day. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along with me, we're going to find ourselves in Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 14. And we're going to look at verses really 14 through 24. And if not, you can follow me on the screen. And we're going to observe three things today from this story that we can learn about faith by looking at the person of the Father who brings the Son to Jesus in this story. And I'm going to do like a really good Bible student. I'm going to give you an acronym to be able to remember this. A very simple acronym. The word is ACT. A-C-T, okay? A-C-T. So while you walk out, you'll be able to remember. Pastor Pina said A-C-T, and you'll be able to get these three things, okay? Now let me set the stage for you before we read the text. We're going to read the whole text because I want you to read this story and get what's going on in the story. But before that, what has just happened if you read Mark chapter 9 at the beginning? Peter, James, John, and Jesus were just on the mountain of transfiguration. Jesus has just been transfigured before them. Elijah appears and, you know, and, and he's all glorified and Jesus is exalted, right? And so this beautiful, miraculous experience happens and the rest of the disciples are at the bottom of the mountain. And when they descend from the mountain... Peter, James, John, and Jesus, they come across this scene. There's an argument going on between the scribes and between the rest of the disciples, and there's this chaotic kind of scene that is going and taking place, and that's where we find ourselves. So Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 14. And it said, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. When they saw who? Jesus, right? They saw Jesus and they, yeah, he had a little bit of a reputation. They were amazed, right? So they come to him. And they asked him, what are you arguing about with them? He asked them. Verse 17. And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. This is the father. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Now, pause for a second. What it, imagine being the father, what this son is suffering with. And you came to the disciples first to get help, and they couldn't help him. Right? You're probably feeling a little hopeless at this point. Then look at verse 19. It seems interesting the way Jesus responds. And Jesus answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Notice that Jesus' rebuke is not directed just, uh, specifically at his disciples. He didn't tell his disciples, why can't you sink in disciples, cast out these demons? I told you I gave you power, all this. It's not directed toward them. But it's directed toward the unbelief that is present. The unbelief of Israel that was present in this crowd. Verse 20, 
And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, it immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell to the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. Verse 22, and it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, quoting back to his words to him, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father, cried, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. The first thing I want you to see in the father that we see demonstrated through him is A, he approached Jesus. So the A in act is that he approached Jesus. Look back at verse 17. It said, and someone from the crowd answered him, the father, teacher, I brought my son to you, it says. For he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid, so I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Verse 20, and they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately he convulsed the boy. He fell to the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. The beginning of verse 22, and it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. I want you to notice something. The man clearly acknowledges his son's condition. He's very well aware. Sometimes I think we get a little fanciful when it comes to faith, and we just act like, okay, if I deny that this is happening, that somehow it's not happening. No. He's saying, Jesus says, what's going on? And he explains in vivid detail for us what this kid is going through. And so he, we see it. And then not only do we see it, the crowd sees it. The crowd then gets to experience at some point what this father was experiencing since, child, since his childhood. Because the son then begins to experience and starts convulsing, right? But as he accounts this for us, I want you to notice something. What did he do? He came to Jesus. It says that I brought my son to you. It's intention. It's not exactly like the dad can go ahead and call Uber and have Uber pick him up and say, hey, you know what, uh, tell his wife, hey, wife, uh, me and Billy, we're just going to go see Jesus today. I called an Uber, and Uber's going to pick me up. We're going to go to the town square, and we're going to go see Jesus. No. When it says that he went and he saw Jesus, that he sought out Jesus. He went there with intention and with purpose. The very fact that he goes there with intention and purpose is an act of faith. He doesn't know what else to do, so what does he do? He approaches Jesus, he comes to Jesus. And he makes the effort to do so. Now, while you and I may never have a child who experiences, God forbid, was demon-possessed and experienced some of the things that this child experienced, however, sometimes when the circumstances of life intensify and things start hitting us from all directions, interestingly enough, I've been a pastor long enough that I've seen this and I've seen it in my own life that people tend to go away from Jesus instead of come to him. Why would you run from him when life gets difficult? Why would you run from him when you're at your wit's end and don't know what else to do? Sometimes we then flee. We like go away from Jesus. And yet this man said, I'm going to come. I'm going to make the opportunity. I'm going to make it. I'm going to do with intention and purpose. I am going to come to Jesus. And I believe that the reason sometimes why we don't come to Jesus in the midst of desperate situations is because all we can see in the magnitude of those circumstances that are in front of us is we think of the, the times when we had prayers and they went unanswered. 
We look at the broken marriage that we're suffering through. We look at the loss of employment. We look at the death of a loved one, etc. Life is hard. You never signed up for life to be easy. It's not. And oftentimes it's not fair. Things happen to us, circumstances, situations happen to us that catch us completely blindsided. The father could have just said, I've dealt with this so many years, the disciples couldn't help me. He could have not waited for Jesus. He could have not made it his intention to be there with his son. And then when his son starts doing it all again, he could just say, I'm just done with it. I'm done. I can't deal with it anymore. I'm just giving up. I have no hope anymore. Yet he still came to Jesus. At the midst of his brokenness, he came to Jesus. When I look at the Gospels, whether it's this story, whether it's the story of the woman with the issue of blood, whether it's the story of Jairus, the religious leader, and his son who starts off that account with the women with the story of blood, the issue of blood, when people are desperate, they manage to find their way to Jesus and he intervenes in their life. When they are desperate, they just do whatever they can to get to him. The woman said, if I could just touch him, if I could just touch him, something could happen. She was desperate. Here's the principle I want you to get from this, is that faith begins by approaching Jesus in complete dependence. Faith begins when we approach Jesus in complete dependence. The faith of this father began the moment he took that first step out of his house and said, I'm going to get my son to Jesus. That's when faith began for him. Faith begins for you and I. If you are here today and you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, faith began for you the day that you took a step toward Jesus. Whether it was through an invitation that somebody invited you to church and you got to hear the gospel, whether it was somebody who sat across from you and actually shared the gospel with you, whether it was through some circumstance, whatever it may be, there was a point when you had to say, I'm going to trust and take a step toward Jesus. And that's when your relationship with him began. But here's the thing, faith is not an isolated incident. Faith isn't a one-time decision. It isn't a decision that we just make to get into this thing we call Christianity, then all of a sudden it stops. No, it's an everyday decision that we are making that we may walk in faith. Every day we have to put another step forward to trust Jesus. Every day there will be circumstances that will tell you to try and do otherwise. And you still have to say, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to approach him. I'm going to come to Jesus. Faith is trusting God, his will, his ways, and his character, and believing that he is genuinely who he says he is. This father's faith was not perfect. He didn't have answers to all the theological questions. He really didn't even fully know who Jesus was in that regard, and yet he, he probably heard. I mean, when Jesus was around, things were happening. He heard about this. Jesus said, well, maybe he can do something for me and for my son. So he made the effort to be there, to approach him, to come. He didn't need to know 100%, know the Old Testament, and know the, you know, the the ancient books of, and know his whole patriarchal lineage. No, he didn't have all the questions answered, but he still came. So what's your need today? What do you need to come to Jesus for? Is it a broken marriage? Come to Jesus. Is it a financial crisis? Come to Jesus. Is it physical health? Come to Jesus. Is it depression and mental illness? Come to Jesus. Is it thoughts of hurting yourself? Come to Jesus. 
Come, come, come. Come. You're not expected to be perfect. Just come. That's the, that's the entrance point. Just come. The second thing I want you to see, the C in act. So A was for approach Jesus. The C is confess our weakness. Confess our weakness. Look at the end of verse 22. And listen to the Father's words. He says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I don't envision the Father just saying, you know, Jesus, it'd be really nice if you could do something for us, if you'd have a show a little compassion or whatever. I can imagine him on his knees pleading with him. If you have any compassion, if you could do something for us, help us, help us. I don't know what to do. Help me. Help me. I don't know what to do. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And then I love, the father doesn't hesitate. He says, he immediately cried out and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. He expresses hope in Jesus by saying, if you can do anything, there's some glimmer of hope that he has, that Jesus can do something potentially. There's at least some inkling of hope, limited as it may be, but he appeals to the Lord's compassion. And he says, if you're compassionate, basically have mercy on me. Have grace on us. Extend your hand toward us, toward this situation and this circumstance. When I was thinking about this passage, what immediately came to mind when I was thinking about this reality of confessing our weakness is Paul makes this very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, this is Paul's vision. When Paul has a vision, he said, I saw a man going to the third heaven, right? He has this vision, but he's dealing with this thorn in the flesh, and we have no idea what it is. And Paul is entreating toward God, and he consistently asks him, God, get rid of this thing, get rid of this thing, get rid of this thing. And then listen to the response. Verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in what? Weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my what? Weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with what? Insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am what? Weak, then I am strong. This is another oxymoronic statement. Seems like a paradox that in weakness somehow we're strong, but it's because our strength is in him not in our trusting of our own human ability and our own strength, right? So Paul's vision in his thorn in the flesh, and he, he's pleading with God, remove this thing, remove this thing. But, but Paul is keenly aware of his weakness. He says, you know, I, this thing is, this is like a buffer to me, and this thing's hurting me, and he's, he's confessing that reality. And yet God says, don't worry, in the midst of that, I got you. I got grace for you in the midst of that weakness. It never tells us that God removed it. That's hard to deal with, right? It never tells us that God removed it, but it did tell us that God gave grace and that God was present in the midst of it. And that's the problem is sometimes in the midst of the intensity of a circumstance, we don't see God in that circumstance. So we question whether or not he's there. So a little bit of the faith that this father has shown, as weak as it may be, is shown by the fact that Jesus gives him this soft rebuke in verse 23. But he says, well, if I can, of course I can, to anyone who believes then these things can happen. But when Jesus even hints at the possibility that it can happen, he immediately responds and says, I believe. Help my unbelief. 
It's faith mixed with a little doubt. It's imperfect faith, but it's still some level of faith. It's minuscule mustard seed kind of faith, right? And it doesn't have all the answers, and yet it's still something, and Jesus can work with that. Here's something I want you to see in relation to this, is that true faith is honest faith. True faith is honest faith. Now, when you walked into this place today, you likely probably had somebody ask you, well, how are you doing? Hopefully they did. Welcome to Firewell. How are you doing? How's it going today? And most of you had a prototypical response. You probably said something like, what? What did you say? I'm fine. What else did you say? I'm good. I'm okay. Whatever. It's kind of a polite way to basically say to people, if we're honest, because we're being brutally honest today. If, so basically a simple way of saying to people, I acknowledge the fact that you acknowledge me. I'm going to give you this quick answer so I can move on. I told you we were going to be honest, right? Don't act like you don't think like that. All right? So, but imagine if that question was asked to you and we were just brutally honest with each other. Imagine if somebody asked you, how are you doing today? And you say, I'm not doing real good. I'm telling you, I had a rough week and my marriage is falling apart. Now, some people will run away scared, be like, well, I don't know what I got myself into. I end up in this conversation. <laughs> you know, let me step a little bit this way. You know, I'll pray for you, right? But the reality is, is that what, what relationship have you ever known to be healthy and good without being honest? Try being deceptive to your spouse and let me know how that works. You'll be calling me and saying, hey, Pastor Pina, we got some problems. Can we talk? <laughs> but the funny thing is, sometimes we treat God just like that. We are, our whole world is falling apart. And yet we come to God and we're like, okay, God, well, I worship you, I praise you today. We have the, the whole facade on, you know, we're, do, we're acting, we're doing all the right things, we're saying the right things. We're saying the things that we think God wants to hear as if he's another human being and doesn't see right through you. If God truly is sovereign, all-powerful, all those things that we affirm as truths, then if God knows all things, why are you hiding from him? He knows it all. Why bother trying to keep it concealed from him and talk to him like you're talking to some other person to stop a conversation? That's not true faith. That's a facade and that's a faith that's going to fall apart. God is a big boy. He's got his big boy pants on. He can take whatever you throw at him. He can take every doubt that you have. He can take every question that you have. He could take every fear, every concern that you have, and he could take it on the chin. He's a big boy. He's okay. He wants us to be honest with him. Faith isn't this fake thing. It's not, it shouldn't be superficial like that. If we cannot be honest with God who created us and knows all things, then what hope do we possibly have? You don't have to be strong in front of God because he knows your weakness. Just like Paul said, in my weakness, he's I'm, when I'm weak, he's strong. He knows the reality that you will never have perfect faith because you are a broken human who lives in a sinful world, who while you wear this earth suit, will continue to succumb to sin, to the lust of the flesh and all those things and continue to wrestle with these things. Be honest with him. Be honest with him.
Here's the last thing I want you to see is the T. So we talked about we approach Jesus, that's A. C, we confess our weakness, and T is the plead of the Father. And I'm going to say it like this. This is the prayer, transform my faith. Transform my faith. Look at the verse 24 again. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. This is a profession of both a faith and it's also a confession of the lack of faith in which this man had. It's both ends. It's saying I have enough faith to believe you can do something, but I don't have it all together and it definitely isn't perfect, so help me where I don't believe. That I may have more faith. That I may believe even more. There's an openness. There's a posture of humility. There is a kind of, uh, how can I say it? There's a, there's a humbling. There's a, there's a humility kind of nature in this statement of what he's saying. So here's a principle for you. We can always ask Jesus for the faith, the faith in which we lack. We can always ask Jesus for the faith in which we lack. He is the supply. Faith comes from God. It is in Him that we can believe. It is in Him because of His strength, His grace, not our strength, not our own will, that we can walk in obedience, that we can grow in faith, that we can walk this thing called the Christian life every day. We can ask Him for what we lack in that, that He would give us more. Why would God not want to give you more faith? The ability to trust Him more. How many of you today could use some more faith? Right? Every hand should go up in this place. If not, I don't know, you're more holy than I am. <laughs> we all could use a little more faith. So I wanted to illustrate this for you, and then we're going to summarize and close. We're almost done here, but I was thinking about how do I want to illustrate this, and I, I can't, this, this thought dropped into my mind with this illustration, and hopefully you can see this, okay? So on Sunday morning, when you come, I want you to picture this cup as if this is you. This is your life, okay? So this is you, you're this cup. Sunday morning you come, you hear a message, you sing some worship songs, you meet with your Bible study group, you're feeling all filled up when you leave on Sunday morning. So we're going to fill this cup, right? So you're feeling filled up, you're feeling good, you're feeling ready to go. You got some faith that's working in you right now. So you're just ready to attack hell with a water pistol, right? You're just ready to go. Now. Monday morning comes around. Monday morning comes around, you go to your job, your boss says, I need to meet with you. So you sit down, you meet with your boss, your boss says, hey, uh, the, the company's not doing so well right now, we've had to make some cutbacks, and I'm going to have to let you go. All of a sudden, that face starts leaking a little bit. So then, the next day, you get a call from your doctor, and your doctor says, you know what? Uh, that blood work that we came back, we need to have a discussion about that blood work. I saw some things that I didn't like. It starts leaking a little bit more. All of a sudden, you start questioning it, right? Then, you realize later that week, you get into a really bad fight with your spouse, and your marriage is on the rocks, and you're, you're going through some tough times in your marriage, and so it just leaks out a little bit more. You start questioning everything. You're like, oh, God, where are you in the midst of all this? What's going on? It's just not working. You know, all these things aren't working. Then all of a sudden, you look in your cup, and your cup's empty. You're questioning God, and you're saying, God, I don't know where you're at. Because all these difficulties and circumstances are happening in my life. And so, you come again next Sunday. Next Sunday, you get filled up a little bit more. Right? 
You still got a few holes, but you got enough that maybe gets you through a couple days and you fill up a little bit more. You're trying to walk in faith. You're trying to make those right decisions. But then all of a sudden your car breaks down. And when your car breaks down, you have no money to fix it. So you start springing a leak on the side. You don't know what's going to happen. And all those things start coming into focus even more so again. And then you start questioning again and you go through this vicious cycle of belief and unbelief until your cup is again empty. I don't tell you that to discourage you. I tell you that because that's the very common human condition. That's the frailty of the nature of our faith. But here's the beautiful thing. We don't serve a faithless God. He's faithful when we're not. He's faithful to you. He's faithful to me. Even when I'm not always expressing faith in him in a way in which I should. But you know what I don't let this do? I don't let the circumstances of life, no matter how holy things may feel, no matter how things are leaking, whatever, I do not let the circumstances of life stop me from coming to Jesus. I still come. I say, God, I come with my imperfect faith. I come realizing that I know that the situation in life right now, my marriage is broken. I'm still coming. I'm coming and I'm believing by faith. Strengthen me. Help me where I don't have faith. Lord, I know that you are a provider. I know and I can trust in that word. I know I'm not seeing it right now. My bank account certainly doesn't reflect that. But I'm going to trust and believe. Give me more faith so I can believe. I confess my weakness. I believe. And I ask him to transform my faith that I may have it more. And I come to the source that I may receive from him the faith in which I need. We consistently go back to the source. You need to go back over and over and over and over and over again. And don't think yourself as being somehow insignificant by the fact that you have to keep coming. You are a dependent being. You were not created to be independent. The very breath that you have in your body today is a gift from God. You are made for Him. He created you in His image and His likeness. He made it possible that you could have life. He provides everything in which you need. He doesn't pray that He doesn't say that He'll provide our wants sometimes, but He does promise us our needs. So we come every day as dependent beings saying, God, I humble myself today. I realize that I am totally broken and that I am in utter need and dependent upon your grace and mercy every single day. That's what the Lord's Prayer is really all about when he says, pray, give us this day our daily bread. It's a daily thing. It's like, God, I'm daily dependent. Here I am again. I stretch out my hands in complete humble adoration, recognizing everything comes from you and you are the source. So, Lord, may I receive from you today what I need because I do not have it in my own strength. And I realize that life is hard and these circumstances are hard, but I'm going to trust you in the midst of it even with my imperfect faith. Help me, Lord. I believe, but help my unbelief. That's the beautiful simplicity of this story. Let me summarize this for you. So we talked about how this is a paradox. A paradox is a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement or proposition which, when investigated, may prove to be well-founded or true. And I do believe that this is true. This is the tension in which we live, that we can believe at the same time and yet not fully, completely believe because we do not believe perfectly. 
Our one true statement was that our faith, while never being, while never being perfect, while being perfected, I'm sorry, will never be perfect. We can grow in it. We can mature in it. And as we go through tests, as we go through circumstances and trials, it'll get better the next time. We can trust a little bit more, but we're going to still have to keep coming to the source. And I gave you this simple acronym that you can walk away with, ACT. A is where to approach Jesus. Faith begins by approaching Jesus in complete dependence. C, we confess our weakness because true faith is honest faith. And T, transform my faith. That's the prayer. Help my unbelief. We can always ask Jesus for the faith in which we lack. So how can we put this into practice today? Come to Jesus. Do not allow your circumstances to draw you away from God, but run to him. You don't have to have all the answers. You can still have doubts and questions. You can still be wrestling with fears, but do not allow that to stop you from running to Jesus. Just come. Approach him. Second, be honest with God, as we mentioned. I'm not going to go much more into detail about that. Don't hide anything from him. He sees it all anyway. So if you can't be honest with him, then there's really not going to be much hope for you to be honest with anybody else. Be honest with him, brutally honest. You know we have a book in the Bible called Lamentations? And you know to lament means basically this idea of like wailing and just kind of like putting it out there. The Bible's a brutally honest book. It's like reading somebody's personal journal sometimes when you're looking at these Bible characters. Be honest with God. Don't hide anything from him. That transparency, that letting it out makes you and puts you in a place where you're saying I'm dependent and puts you in a place where God can then move in your life. And lastly, ask for more faith. You're going to need it. You're going to need it at some time. But do not cut yourself out from the source. Always go back to him and ask him for more. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and we're going to pray. So, Lord, we do trust you as the source. We come to you as broken vessels, humbled by the reality of just this tension in which we live, where sometimes we're exercising great faith, and then other times we are walking in doubt, fear, anxiety, disbelief. The circumstances of life sometimes get the best of us, Lord, and those things get magnified, and we lose your voice in the midst of the noise. God, help us to see beyond. Help us to continue to come to you no matter what the situation is that we are facing, that we will continue to approach you, even with the imperfect faith that we have, like this father had. Confess our weakness before you, because, Lord, we're so desperately in need, and that you would transform our faith. With every head bowed and with every eye closed, if you are here today and you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, the faith journey begins by... You took a step of faith by walking through these doors today. Maybe it was an invitation from a person who said, you know, to invited you to church or you found us through the website, whatever it may be. But you took a step of faith today to be in this place. And Jesus is inviting you today to come. To come. So I'm asking you to take another step if you're ready to do that today. Jesus Christ came to this earth, the Son of God, lived a perfect life died upon the cross for our sins and rose from the grave and in order and by doing so he made salvation he made this possible for us to be with him for all of eternity he said that to his disciples when he was going away that i am preparing a place for you that where i am you may be and if you want to be in that place with him you have to follow him you have to approach him you have to go where he is going and i want to give you that opportunity today 
to respond in faith. So if that's you and you would say, Pastor Pina, today I want to place my faith and trust in Jesus. I realize that I've been living life on my own and living in my own human strength and I want to, I want to believe him today by faith. I want to ask you to do something as an expression of faith. I want you just to raise your hand. Nobody's looking, I'm just looking. And this is, the Holy Spirit is the one who draws us. And I believe that all I can do as the messenger is just give you an opportunity. So if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand and I want to have the opportunity to be able to pray with you. And if that's not, that's okay. Thank you. Thank you. I see that hand. Praise God. Anybody else? This is your opportunity. Jesus is saying, come. And I'm just asking you to take, make a, just one simple gesture of faith and saying, Lord, I believe. Even if you don't have all the answers right now. Well, here's what I want us to do. Is one of the ways in which we express the fact that we believe is we do that through prayer. And somebody came alongside of you and was praying for you to get into the kingdom today. So what I want you to do is I want you all to join me and pray alongside those who have raised their hand that they are meeting Jesus today for the first time as well. So I want you just to repeat with me. Everybody, dear Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner and I am desperately in need of you. I place my faith and trust in you. I know that you came to this earth, that you lived a perfect life, that you died upon the cross for my sins, and you rose from the grave. Thank you for making me a new creation today, and help me serve you all the days of my life, even with imperfect faith. In Jesus' most precious and holy name, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Those of you who responded in faith today, my encouragement to you is two things. Number one is tell somebody. Tell somebody. And then number two is get yourself planted in a good church where people can come alongside of you and be honest with you and walk this faith journey with you because we're not meant to do it alone. And if Firewheel's not your home, then we believe you found a good one here. Or if not, get plugged into a, a good Bible-believing church where somebody can come alongside of you and disciple you and help you grow in this thing we call faith. We love you. We're going to turn it over to Pastor Chris to dismiss us. Good morning, Firewheel family. Hi, guys. We are coming to you from Birch Aquarium, part of Scripps Institute of Oceanography in San Diego, world famous home to hundreds of uh, animals, uh, sea life, aquatic life, and uh, we're having a great time in San Diego. What are some of your favorite things, Mom? Seeing my family. Seeing family, uh, surf, 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 and uh, all of the local restaurants. We just want to thank you for the opportunity to get away as a family. It has been wonderful, and uh, we cannot wait to be back with you come Sunday morning. Next Sunday, we will be back with you. Uh, but until then, it is time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, Firewall family, you, you are loved. loved. Now go out into the world and share that love with everyone else. We'll see you next Sunday. Thank you.